0: So before we begin, just to kind of clarify a little bit and expound upon what Nicole had said, Um, I have a nonprofit called Miracle Soldier Incorporated. It is an evangelistic outreach. I do preaching, teaching. I share my story like you'll hear today. And we're working on launching our first family camp for combat veterans, veterans, and disabled veterans and their families. It will be a camp where they can come and have fun, play games, eat food, um, be appreciated, and, and have spiritual recuperation and recovery. And Marlene had asked me as I came in there, she said, she said well, what's the name? You know, what should they make checks out to? Or, or what is the name that you want them to, to donate to? And I said, Miracle Soldier, because my last name is Schapansky, and no one can spell that. Now, even if you're Polish in here, you know that most Polish people, at least for me, I can only say my last name. Don't ask me to say any other Polish last name, because it's not going to happen. Um, thank you for allowing me to come out here and speak. It is an honor to be here. I've known Mary for quite a long time. And, uh, excuse me, and Mary and I, I mean, we go back to, to Bay Valley. Oh, we might be having some, uh, let me see here, technical difficulties. We go back a long ways. So it is a privilege to be able to share my story here today. Alrighty then. My name is Sergeant Douglas Schapansky. I'm a medically retired U.S. Army combat veteran and Purple Heart recipient who was wounded by a suicide car bomber in Baghdad, Iraq in September of 2005. And today, I'm going to share my story of how I endured and overcame the most difficult and painful circumstance and trial in my life in my early 20s through the hope, healing, and faith of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1, 7, it talks about the refiner's fire, those times in our lives where God allows the circumstances and the hardships and the trials of life to burn brighter. Those times when God allows us to be blown apart and explosions when they're happening all around us, the only one you have, the only one you can turn to, the only truly one who's going to bring you through, is Jesus. That is what First Peter 1, to 6-7 talks about. It talks about God refining and stripping away everything else to purify our faith in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that your Holy Spirit will move today and glorify Jesus. I pray that each and every one of the people in this congregation, including myself, we would hear what you would have to say through me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine you're in the blazing Iraqi sun, where temperatures can soar to 150 degrees. A large explosion later, and you wake up burned, bloodied, confused, and scarred. That's the position that I found myself when I awoke from a coma at Fort Sam Houston Brook Army Medical Center, in San Antonio, Texas, in September of 2005. I accepted Christ at six years old. I joined the Michigan Army National Guard my senior year of high school at 17 years old. Had to have my parents sign off to become a field artillery crew member. I shot rockets. And the day that September 11th happened, I was supposed to ship out for basic training the day that 3,000 brave Americans lost their lives. I was supposed to be sent over to become a soldier. And after I went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, I joined the, rejoined my youth group. I was at Bay Valley Christian Church at the time, playing worship on the worship team, preaching and teaching. And then in 2004, my unit, the first of the 182nd Field Artillery, right over off a Wilder Road Bravo Battery, was activated for combat deployment to Baghdad, Iraq. We were sent to a place called Fort Dix, New Jersey. Now they were, there they retrained us. We were going from field artillery, you know, I sat behind a panel, I shot a rocket far away from the front lines, to becoming a 50 caliber military police machine gunner. Learned military operations in urban terrain, building clearing, detainee operations, how to become a combat 50 cal gunner. Continued to hold on to my faith in Christ throughout the all. At the end of 2004, we were sent to what most of us call the sandbox, Baghdad, Iraq. And from the moment we arrived in country, our very lives were under attack. 152 of us deployed. We are at a place called Camp Rustamaya, southeast Baghdad, on the Tigris and Euphrates, biblical lands. I remember they had given us a briefing before we arrived in country, and they said, be prepared for consistent attacks to your base. Be prepared. But the reality is, is as much training as you go through... And training is good and necessary. Nothing truly prepares you for deploying to a combat zone when you never know where your next time outside the wire could be your last. In fact, our first month there, my first week or so in country, I was in the shower trailer and mortars and rockets are coming in and we were supposed to go to the bunkers when mortars and rockets came in to find safety. Well, I'm in the shower trailer and I'm thinking to myself, like, I could run out to this bunker or... I could continue my shower. And here's the thing. If anybody knows me, I'm going to make sure I'm clean. Like, I'm, I'm that type of guy. Like, you gotta, I got to make sure I'm clean. So I said, well, you know, at least if I get hit, I'll die clean. Within our first couple weeks and months, our base was consistently attacked. It was daily, weekly, mortars and rockets. Our lives were on the line. And my commander comes to me. My commander comes to me, and he says, Ski, I want you to be my gunner. So imagine your your boss, right? Your boss comes to you, he says, I want you to be my gunner. The, The guy in charge of all the 152 soldiers. He comes up to me. Now, I was 21, 22 around this time in my life, and when someone comes to you in the army, and they ask you to do a job, You don't volunteer or give away anything. Like, I know in the church we're like, hey, we should volunteer. You don't do that in the military. You don't volunteer because you never know what you're going to get stuck with. Cleaning up trash, picking up garbage, whatever it may be. So you don't do it. You get voluntold, okay? Your boss tells you to do something. Well, he came to me and he's like, he goes, he's like, well, do you want to be my gunner? And I'm like, sir, what does that actually mean? He says, You're just, you're with me. You go where I want to go. You protect the convoy, the Humvee, uh, me. You're just, you go where I want to go. And I said, Is there any extra duty? Like (laughs) any extra jobs that we had to do? He said, No, that's it. You just got to do this. Well, here's the thing we did over 8,000 miles of route patrol at any time of the night, any time of the day, in the most dangerous places in Baghdad. I nicknamed him Indiana Jones because he wanted to go everywhere and do everything. But more importantly, is my commander chose me and and he thought that he picked me because he was making the choice. But the reality is, is God was showing an instance of divine intervention, placing me in that position for the very reason I'm up here today. See, I wasn't the best soldier. I wasn't the strongest or the best shot. There were other soldiers who were better shot than me, stronger. I wasn't the smartest. Well, maybe I was the smartest, but... I wasn't the best. There was better soldiers. I was proficient. I was combat trained. I knew my job, and I was a good soldier. But there could have been others in that position. God put me there for a reason. The same reason that every one of you are here in this place today. When you show up to church and you hear the word and you worship God, you're here for for a very specific reason. It's not an accident. So God chooses me. I get in that position. And we patrol Baghdad. Training Iraqi police... There's my command team right there. Training Iraqi police over 27 different Iraqi police stations all across eastern Baghdad from Camp Tajid to the north down to the Sunni Triangle, the entirety of eastern Baghdad. I was my commander's gunner. I was his 50 cal gunner. My job was to make sure he was safe and keep him protected. We endured the threats of IEDs Snipers, small arms fires, mortars, rockets, and of course, suicide car bombers. What's amazing to me is here I was, thousands of miles away from home, in a literal foreign land, a desert. And I show up to the 3rd Infantry Division Chapel. I join their worship team as a bassist. And God provides me not only with weekly worship that I am participating in, but a chaplain who is preaching the word, challenging me when I sinned, and encouraging me in my faith. God provided a spiritual oasis even in the desert. But how many times do we think that we're in the desert, that we think we're physically far from God, and God says, you are not physically far from me. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And the Lord brought me the spiritual nourishment I needed. And we oftentimes think when we're going through stuff or we're struggling or even in dry seasons that God is far away. Nothing can separate us from his love. Over nine months of the most dangerous route patrol. Nine months of my life on the line. The day... That would forever change who I am. Would be almost upon me. The day that my whole life would be altered forever. That day was September 15th, 2005. One day, one life, forever changed. I remember waking up that morning... And thinking to myself, this is a beautiful morning. Here I am vacationing in Baghdad. I hear the rates are really low right now if you'd like to get a flight. It was beautiful. In fact, if I were anywhere else in the world at that time, with that type of weather and the sun, I would have been enjoying it. And I got up because I thought to myself, wow, we're almost done with our deployment." It was September of 2005. We had a few months left before Christmas. I would be heading home. Little did I know that I would be heading home much sooner and in a much more precarious and dangerous state. But God knew. And as I walked out of my barracks room, my air-conditioned barracks room, by the way, any of you guys didn't think we had some luxuries? We did. It was awesome. 50 cal on my shoulder, Bible in my pocket. I had a Game Boy there too and like 10 things of ChapStick. I don't know why, but I collected a lot of ChapStick. I still do. And I'm getting ready for the mission. I'm praying. We're walking down the path to a place called the motor pool. Does everyone know what a motor pool is? Anybody? Motor pool for you, in the if you're in the military, you understand. But if you're not, the motor pool is basically where all the vehicles are staged. Your Humvees, your tanks, your your Bradleys. And our up-armored Humvee was there. So we're getting ready to go for mission. I'm praying. I'm thinking, this is great. I got a breakfast burrito in my hand. And whenever it was breakfast burrito day, I was super excited. And we get to the Humvee. I'm putting my 50 cal on there. My team leader starts going through the mission brief. He's going through the safety brief. And I'm praying. I'm drinking, like, energy drinks. My commander, after what seemed like hours... My commander comes strolling up, Red Bull in his hand and cigarette, and he goes like, Ski, waiting on you. I'm like, uh, sir, I've been here for like two hours, I'm like waiting on me. To this day, now my wife and kids, when I'm running behind at home, they'll be like, waiting on you, Ski. And I'm like, hey, you guys can't do that. You are Ski's too, <laughs> like you're Chapanski too. Well, that mission, that day, was to go to a place called Camp Taji, northern Baghdad. My commander had a meeting with their commander, the incoming battalion, or excuse me, company commander, to talk about taking over our area. I had a different mission, okay? non an official mission. We had just found out that they were putting in a Taco Bell at Camp Taji. Now, <laughs> you may be laughing, but here's the thing. Taco Bell was awesome. I was 21, and, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit I still eat it. And no, I don't get a kickback, but they should probably. We were excited. In fact, we were so excited, like, the day before, we're thinking, like, oh, man, what are you going to get? And there was, like, two options, right? It was like a burrito and a taco. And I was like, I'm going to get both. I, was, I mean, I was really excited. And we're sitting here, and my commander's like, okay, here's our mission. I was like, yes, sir, that's not the real mission, Taco Bell is. We were really ready to go. That whole day, I was happy, I was excited. The, the time, to, time left on my deployment was over, Taco Bell was here. I mean, what else did you want? I'm the first vehicle out of three Humvees. There's three vehicle convoy. We start to leave the base. We left a little bit later than we were supposed to. Another part of what I call divine intervention, because when all the circumstances happen to me, It happened partly because we left later. Another divine intervention is that day, riding with us, was our headquarters combat medic. God placed me there, the timing was perfect, and we had the help we needed. As we leave the base, I'm praying and asking for peace and protection like I always did. And it didn't mean that I wasn't afraid at times. Anytime you left the base, you left the wire, and you were out on the streets, your life could be ended. But you know, courage is not the absence of fear. It's pushing through it, not letting the fear control you. And I had the Lord with me. So we leave the base. I'm the first Humvee going There's two main routes in Baghdad, north and south Pluto is what we called them in 2005. I was on northbound going to Camp Taji. We leave the base, and as we go, three Bradleys went out ahead of us. And if you don't know what a Bradley is, it's basically a small, like a miniature tank with infantry inside of it. It's got a 30-millimeter gun. They're pretty sweet. I always wanted to put military police on it and drive it around, but they said it wouldn't look good. I was like, okay, just, you know, mini tank. They went out ahead, and they started clearing the path. Now, as you can see in this picture right here, that was, my, that was my view every single day, okay? I barely left the vehicle, and my job, 90% of my job was traffic control. I called myself, you know, like a beat cop in Baghdad, because I was constantly dealing with traffic. I was stopping people, I was moving people. When those Bradleys went out ahead, they started clearing the route. Now, imagine Baghdad's like Metro Detroit during rush hour. Okay? Cars and people everywhere and every place you go. And so they start going ahead, and I thought, oh, that's great. I don't have to yell as much. And the thing is, I yelled a lot when I was a gunner. I yelled so much during my first two months of my deployment, I lost my voice. I said the word hey more than anyone can possibly say that word in their entire life. So they went out ahead, and I was like, oh, this is so great. And as we start to leave, way off in the distance, there's a gray opal. German vehicle, it was everywhere, ubiquitous in Baghdad. Kias and these opals all over I see this thing, and it's coming in on the side. And just so you know, as my job, I was scanning and looking and always looking for threats, always looking for a threat to my convoy or to myself or to my commander. And so when you saw a car come in off the side onto the highway, immediately. We start to go down the road, traveling 30, 60 miles an hour, and I'm scanning, and I look to my left and this car starts coming in, and I start to drop down with my M16, and I'm yelling at this car, and I'm yelling, agh, a Goth. And then I spin around. And that gray opal that was way off in the distance is now right here. As I locked eyes with one of the most demonic, evil-looking faces and spun around and began to yell and drop my M16 as I attempted to fire. This gray opal was a suicide car bomber filled with 7155 rounds, artillery rounds, detonated a few feet from my face. A large explosion, a huge fireball engulfed our entire Humvee. It blew my face open. Blew my thumb off. Gave me first, second, and third degree burns. Shrapnel went through my eye, causing blindness. Into my brain, giving me a traumatic brain injury. The explosion was so big and the fireball was so big that the gunners behind me, as I would later find out, said, there's no possible way that Ski made it through this. There's no possible way. As it rips through me, shrapnel, glass, flames, engulfing me, I fall back in my hundred, Excuse me, my feet. I began to choke on my own blood. I began to cough. I can't see. I'm disoriented. I start to go into shock. I start to feel for my face and feel for my hand, and it's not there, and I don't know what's going on, and I'm looking around. And then I had this thought. One one of the very first thoughts was as I'm looking up all around and the sky is beautiful, the sun is shining, it's surreal. It's just like the movies except it's worse Is where the you can't hear anything and it's coming in and out. And your sound is ringing in, in in the ears. And one of the first thoughts I had was this is I can't believe that it's me like, I can't believe I'm the one who got hit. Nobody ever thinks that they're going to be the one to get hit. Nobody ever does. In fact, when we were deployed, you know, you think it might be your buddy. You think it might be someone else in the unit. You hope that it's not. But you certainly don't ever think that it's you. And isn't that the same thing in life? We always think that someone else is going to be the one to get sick, that someone else is going to be the one to lose a family member or get cancer or or lose your job or lose your finances or struggle with things. We always think that until it's us. The reality is, though, is that everyone in life gets blown up. Not physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. No one makes it through life without getting blown up at least once. Sometimes those of us, some of us get hit more than once. The question though is this, are you prepared when it happens and do you know where to turn to? When I was wounded, as I fell back in that seat, as I'm praying, I'm, I'm singing praise and worship, I'm praying, In one of the songs that we had played over and over in weekly chapel was, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Matt Redman, right? Blessed be the name of the Lord in the good times and in the bad times when the world is all as it should be, when, they, when you're in the desert place or you walk through the wilderness. I was literally singing that song and praying and praising the Lord in the midst of my most difficult time. I knew where to turn to when my life was literally on the line. That was to Jesus. Those Bradleys, they were way off in the distance. Now they have come back. They're now a medevac. We had, I mean, we had just left the base. It had to have been 15 minutes maybe. We had just left the base. My team leader looks up at me. I look down at him. And I says, hey, are we going to go on with mission? Like, of course, you know, because I, I was a good soldier. Like, we had to mission first, right? And he looks up at me. And he says, Ski, everything is going to be all right. How many know that when someone tells you everything is going to be all right? Like, it's not all right. It was not all right at all. My face is blown open. You could see inside of me. And I look at him. I'm, I'm burned. I'm bloodied. And I don't know if he heard this. But I began to say to him, it's okay. God is here. They start pulling me out of the Humvee. The headquarters combat medic is yeah. there. They lay me down, they're bandaging me up The Bradleys are there, they put me in the back of the Bradley Still singing, still praising God Still praying, still singing the song over and over and over And when they laid me inside the Bradley I had a thought I think I'm going to die And I don't know if you've ever had that, that experience before If you've ever felt like you're actually going to die But I have And it was crazy. It was peaceful. It was frightening. It was calming. It was a mixture of emotions. And then after that thought is, well, you know, at least if I die here today, my parents will get $300,000 in life insurance money. And, you know, I'm married with four kids. I'm kind of jealous of that. I mean, like, that's a lot of money. I could use that, you know, put my kids through college or something, but I wouldn't be here, I guess. The next thought after that was the Lord Jesus spoke to me, impressed upon me in the middle of that trial. He said, Douglas, you are not going to die here today. You have too much to do for me here on earth. Instantly, I was calmed. Instantly, I was reassured. And I continued to pray and praise the Lord. Um, those Bradleys, they took us back to base. We went to the medical cache in Baghdad, Balad Air Base, where they did emergency surgery on my face, putting in titanium plates, which are still there today, going to Lawnstuhl, Germany. Walter Reed, and finally to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas, the fourth floor burn ward. And all along the way, my church was praying for me, my parents were praying for me, and I was hanging on by a thread at any moment I could have passed. In fact, they weren't sure if I was going to make it home, and, and there was talk about them sending my parents to maybe Germany because I wouldn't make it to the States. But they kept praying And I can tell you that prayer does work. I'm living proof of it. But it wasn't until we actually made it to Fort Sam Houston that the battle truly began. Because when I was wounded, I didn't feel any pain. I didn't have any pain at all. I was in shock. I was was just, they were getting me out of that and evacuating me. But when I arrived at Fort Sam Houston, that's when the battle really began. The first week or so in the hospital, in the burn ward, I was in a medically induced coma. Maybe it was five days or so a week. And I praise God that I did not have hallucinations or illusions that were frightening or fearful, but they were filled with the peace of God. I thought I was Buzz Lightyear. I thought I was Captain Jack Sparrow. In fact, I thought I was Winnie the Pooh. These are real things that were in my head. I thought I, had, I was in this, this show that I used to watch in Nickelodeon called Legends of the Hidden Temple. It's like a game show. I thought I had a party in my room and there was a beer in my hand and I wasn't even drinking. I told my parents that and they're like looking around. Like, what are you talking about? During that the, the recovery process, whenever I had illusions or hallucinations they were either comical or peaceful because God gave me peace. My church is praying for me. My parents are praying for me. My youth pastor and my pastor were flown down. My parents were in the room. And Before I truly and fully awoke from that coma, as I lay there in the hospital bed, my youth pastor, my pastor, my parents are there. And my dad... Comes up next to me. And he comes up next to me. My face is burned and bloodied and scarred. I start to look at him and I say in a barely audible whisper. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And my dad comes a little bit closer and he says, what did you say? And I said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he comes a little bit closer and he says, what did you say? And I said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Those were some of the very first words that I said when I came out of the coma and I looked like that. My parents were unsure if I was going to turn away from God, or get angry at God, or walk away from the faith. And I did not. Now that doesn't say that there weren't times where I wasn't frustrated with the Lord, or I wasn't frustrated with my circumstances. We are human We struggle in this life. But there's one thing that I have never done is I have never turned from the Lord. Why would you turn away from the greatest source of hope and peace that you have when you are struggling? When I uh, started to recover, every morning, every day, it would come through, they do this thing called debridement if you know medical you know burn stuff debridement is where nurses they would come in they start to scrape the dead skin off your face so that the new skin can grow it is one of the most painful and horrible things i've ever experienced burn scars and burn pain and the recovery is one of the worst that I, I've ever had in my life. I don't think there's anything worse. It, it's horrible, at least to me. And they would come into the room and, and they'd start to scrape on it. And one time they came into the room and they grabbed my face and they're just jostling it around, getting real rough. And I looked at them and I was like, hey, stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Take it easy. This right here is the moneymaker. It's been 16 years and I've made a few bucks. But, but I am not, I'm not rich by any means. Rich in Christ. Every day, my parents prayed with me, read the word with me. We went through the Psalms and we went through Jeremiah. We spent so much time in Job, of course. Each and every day, God continued to take me and help heal me spiritually, and emotionally, and mentally, and physically. In fact, they had came in and talked to my parents, and they had said, Douglas is going septic. This is early on in my recovery, within the first couple of weeks, and, and my urine output had stopped, and my body was shutting down, and my mom calls my aunt, and my aunt's a nurse, and they were talking about it, and they're like, hey, these are bad signs, like he's probably not going to make it. I had been burned in first, second, and third degree, in the worst places you can get burned, your hands, face, and neck. I had different um, diseases from Baghdad, different sicknesses. I had all the, the you know, there's the viruses and the bacteria that come when, when you're burned like that. My body's shutting down. And my parents continued to pray, my church continued to pray, and the Lord showed up. When I was struggling in recovery, this verse continued to strengthen me as well. And God reminded me that he would never leave me nor forsake me, ever. And I continued to hold on to the promise in Philippians 4.13. And day after day, I got better. Therapy. Occupational therapy. I had to wear masks on my face and popsicle sticks in my mouth. I had to have surgeries in my hand and my face and my neck. I had failed surgeries on my eye. But all the while, I continued to trust in the Lord. And there were some days that were quite painful. There were some days where I was not sure that I had the mental or emotional or spiritual strength to make it. And one of those times, my mom was there next to the bed. And I was really going through a hard day. I couldn't keep food down. I wasn't, wasn't doing very well with the therapy. And I just, I just looked at my mom. And she came a little bit closer, and I said, Mom, can you please tell God that I've had enough? Anyone else been there in their life? Anyone else been there? Because I can tell you what, I think we all have. We all have. Where we're like, Lord, this is a little bit much. Like, this is a little bit much. Lord, I don't know how much more I can take with this. I don't know how much more I can handle. I don't know how much more I can do. Well, God reminds us that he will never leave us, even in those instances. And he is going to bring us through. And he did bring me through. And even when you feel like you can't do enough, God is enough, and he will not let you go. And every single day, I continued to push on forward and trust in the promises. I held on to Philippians 4.13, and I held on to Christ, and he held on to me. Getting wounded was one of the most painful and difficult trials in my life. And I can tell you that if it wasn't for my faith in Christ Jesus, I wouldn't be here. As Psalm 77 talks about, I realized. And I was reminded of the fact that God is a miracle-working God. And if today you are struggling in your faith, or you have struggled in any sort of way, or if you're wondering and you want to be prepared for the next trial, or if you're thinking to yourself, I just got through a trial, then remember that God is with you, that Jesus can bring you through it, and that God is still a miracle-working God, and my life is living proof of it. Today's the day that you pray for that miracle. Today's the day that you you press back into Christ and you trust him for the hope and healing strength that you need. Today's the day that you look at your own testimony and you say, how can God use me? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. We can do all things through Christ who give us strength. Hold on to that promise. If you are a believer here today, hold on to that promise and don't let go. Because you never know when you're going to need it. And if you don't know the Lord here today, today is the day to make that decision. Today is the day to recognize your need for Christ. Repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God who died and rose again, to give you that hope. See, that promise in Philippians 4.13, that promise is for believers. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thank you for listening. And if you would like prayer, I am available here to pray with anybody who wants any sort of spiritual strengthening. We will trust the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord as as Lord and Savior, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I am right here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today, as we hear of what you've done in my life, we know that you're working in many people's lives every single day. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring us to a deeper walk with you, that we would hold on to the promise of Philippians 4, 4.13, your, your hope and your healing and your strength, that we'd remember that you never leave us nor forsake us, and that you are still a miracle-working God. And we pray that if there are those of us in this room that need a miracle from you today, we ask that according to your will you would hear, receive, and deliver that for your glory in the name of Jesus. Pray that you would go forth and, and develop stronger believers, and give glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Are you doing a song? If anybody would like to pray, I'm available. Otherwise, I believe you're dismissed.
1: Oh, we. Unless. Nope. We want to make sure we take up a special oh, yeah. offering for yep. your yes. uh, the summer camp. Do you want to talk a little bit about the summer camp? Oh, I did earlier. You did okay. Yep. All right. Sorry, I popped out real quick. So okay. Yeah. yeah, yep. right. Perfect. So, yeah.
0: If you want me to say another thing, I can. Sure. Go for it. Just to remind everybody, the family camp we're trying to launch our first one this summer. I'm trying to bring the same, you know, hope, healing, and strength of Christ to that. Um, the big draws for that is it's there'll be games and teaching. And we need, I want to say, we're shooting for around like 10,000. Um, so if anyone wants to help us in any way possible, we want, to bring these, we want to bring this healing to the families the same way we received it from another ministry in Texas. And uh, we want to just minister to other veterans and their families with the hope of Christ.
1: Thank you so much, Sergeant Schapansky. We are so thankful for you. you know... Um, I met Doug years ago at Bay Valley as well and I knew his testimony prior to him sharing with all of you today and so it was really powerful because in the last song that we sang love like this the Lord spoke to me as we were singing because when we got to the second verse when it says when I am a desert you are the river that turns to find me and instantly he was showing me um, and reminding me visions and he told me he's like I was in that desert with Doug And, you know, he spoke to me saying, when we all go through storms, it doesn't matter, like Sergeant Schapansky shared with us, it doesn't matter what the storm looks like, but God is there with us. And, you know, love like there's, there's no other love like this. And what a powerful testimony that Doug gave today of that love that the Lord gives to us. So we are just so thankful. Can we just thank him today? And just thank the Lord for what he did and is doing through his life. We are just so grateful. So, yes, if you are making out a check, please make your check out to Miracle Soldier. But let's go ahead and pray for this love offering. Father, thank you for, for Doug. Thank you for just your love and just the testimony of his life and what you are doing through his life to go out and just impact so many people. And so, Lord, we just thank you for any gifts that may be given for this ministry, Lord. And we just pray that you would bless bless the giver and bless the offering and just multiply it in Jesus' name. Amen.